Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Malaman. I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. And I'm Rabbi Bluth. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. And what it means to be Jewish and human in today's world. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. And the way we feel about stuff. And we'll try to be as real as possible. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. And maybe we'll even come out being better people for it. The beauty of the cyclical nature of our Hebrew calendar is that as we move through the seasons and holy days and months, we revisit universal themes each year as new people. In this episode, we are re-airing the podcast about this month from last year. We know that old wisdom lands in new ways each time we return to it, and we invite curiosity and reflection to see how the wisdom of this month lands anew with you today. Whether you have been with us from the very beginning or are a new listener, we would love to hear how this month's episode lands for you. Share your thoughts and feedback on the Living Jewishly pages on Instagram at living.jewishly or Facebook. And if you're a member of our School of Living Jewishly community, we'd love to be in dialogue with you on the SoulJ platform. Enjoy! Welcome to Sacred Time podcast from Living Jewishly, where we explore the healing art of the Hebrew calendar. My name is Bluth. And my name is Gunga Devi. And together we will be exploring the wisdom of each of the 12 months of the Hebrew calendar as they relate to our lives today. Our intention for this podcast is that it be rooted in tradition, blossoming into relevance in the present moment, and lead us all to the ripening of a beautiful Jewish future. Yes, and welcome to the podcast for the month of Sivan. Welcome. So, Bluth, we are in the month of Sivan. We're actually recording this just moments away from the new moon uh, as we enter into this new time. And by the time this podcast reaches the ears of our listeners, we've experienced Shavuot, we've received the Torah, we've gathered, we've learned, we might have indulged in a lot of dairy. Where are we now? We are now at the full moon of Sivan. So we're at the full moon, the sort of we're in the ripe part of the month, this month of Sivan, which is the third month of the Jewish calendar, starting from that month of Nisan, the first month. This month of Sivan is interesting because, as you said, you know, we've received the Torah in this month. So this month brought us a very big gift. And now that we have it, there's a question of where does it lead us to? And so we're in a month of movement, of sort of having received and now moving forwards. So this month is the month of Gemini. That's the astrology. So the twins, it is the first of the astrological signs that have humans. That is a a people-based month, a people-based sign. It's the third month and the letter for the month. So the Sefer Yetzirah, this Kabbalistic book that really gives us the sort of spiritual anchoring of each of our months, teaches us the letter for this month is the letter Zayin which is the seventh letter of the alphabet, which is interesting because it's the third month, which is 
considered to be a sort of holy number and it is connected to the seventh letter, which is also like the Shabbat. There's a completion in that number. And the sense of this month, so each month has a sense or a characteristic associated with it. And the sense for this month is walking. So the, the Kabbalists teach us that there's a real dynamism here. And the actual characteristic assigned to this month is the left foot. So the foot that follows, if the right foot took the first step in the month of Nisan in that first month, now we are moving and however we started, we are continuing. There's a continuum here in this month. So that's where we are in time right now. I love that. I just had this like image of my mind as you're describing the left foot following. I was feeling like, oh, this is the time for follow through, right? Like <laughs> this is a beautiful time for follow through of things that we initiated, perhaps out of inspiration during a holiday or in just like the ripening and the, the energy of springtime. We've begun projects and we've made commitments and, and everything. And this is a time for follow through and for integration and for moving forward, but in a way that is really dynamic. And when we were first talking about this month, that's what I was feeling into. I loved the, the way that you used the word dynamism in just a really brief synopsis. And I was like, I really want us to explore that concept and that energy. Totally. There's a dynamism here. And I love what you said about the follow through. It is almost like there's a sustainability to it. It's like, how do we move forwards in a way that both integrates and sustains whatever it is that we want to carry with us? And I think in this particular month, we're coming off the tail end of Shavuot. So this big receiving of revelation of the Torah, you know, and if if folks listening experience that communally or ritually or, or not even at all, we've, but we, we have as a people received something anew and something old, but new, you know, a renewal happening. So we received this and now we walk forwards and we integrate and we try to sustain and figure out how do we live our lives with what it is that we received, whatever it is that came down, whatever revelations we got, whatever, yeah, whatever we've been gifted up until now, the question is how do we move forwards with those gifts? Yeah. That's like a really rich, beautiful question. And like, I don't want to just move forward from there. I think that's a really important, powerful question. I you know, it was recently Mother's Day, and I w- I'm thinking about how much gratitude I was feeling for for my mother and for the mothers of the world in all the ways that we experience them and feeling like a lot of grounding and gratitude for those gifts. And so even just in like what's really fresh in my mind right now, I'm, I'm allowing myself to be in this contemplation of like, what do we do with the gifts that we've been given? And that question can translate into so many different directions of of the spiritual gifts that we have in our lives, but also the material realities that we have, the privileges that we have, so many elements of what do I have and what can I do most effectively with it? It's such a rich and important question that I definitely want to sit with. And I, and I hope you, whoever you are listening, also maybe even pause for a moment and just, just be in that contemplation. It's really so important and so rich. Often in society today, I think there's a confusion around gifts and abundance. We're beautifully sensitive to privilege and power. And sometimes that comes along with a shame and a not knowing what to do when we do have the gift of something. And I feel like in some ways the shame is is a, you know, a signal that, well, there's an unequal distribution of resources in this world. And so what does it mean to appreciate what we have and participate in the betterment of everyone and share of those resources. So then it's not a shameful thing. It's not like I have and someone else doesn't. It's like I have and how can 
we redistribute. And I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, with COVID and the different experiences in different countries and thinking towards India right now and the, the struggle with COVID in India and, you know, between vaccine distribution and healthcare and oxygen and all these sorts of things. So how do we appreciate our gifts and not get awkward and deny, you know, not get like weird around them <laughs> and also channel them towards the betterment and like sharing with others? Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, I'd love to just add to that. A few weeks ago, I was in a, an anti-racism for clergy training that was really, really powerful. It was hosted by the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. And we were talking a lot about power in that and, you know, power and privilege. Obviously, it's a huge, huge topic of conversation in this work. And it was really emphasized by one of the trainers that like power is something that is beautiful. Power is something that is sacred. And the only thing that's shameful about power is when it is stripped from people, when it is denied. And I think that, I think that there's something in that contemplation. I was really trying to come to my own definition of power and my own understanding of power so that I could understand power for myself even better. And the working definition that I kind of developed in my brain in that moment was that power is the ability to choose and then to follow through to act on that choice. And if we have the ability to act, but we don't actually have the ability to choose, that's not real power. And if we have the ability to choose, but we actually can't enact that choice, that also is not power. And so coming to this theme of the left foot, of the foot that follows, of that that capacity for follow through after choice is made is feeling really ripe for me right now. And again, connected to, you know, this like, okay, what do we have? What can I do with what I already have? That was a definition of abundance that a friend of mine said a couple of years ago that I've never forgotten. We were all asking each other, what does abundance mean to you? And she said, abundance means figuring out what I can do with what I already have. And from that place, infinite possibilities often arise. There's so much ingenuity and brilliance and wisdom and creation that can come from just being with the resources we have and acting from that place. It reminds me of a, I think it's a Buddhist proverb that Leah Tubbs, who's a wonderful activist and dance teacher in Harlem that I actually had the privilege to interview on another podcast. And she brought this Buddhist saying, which is that enough is a feast. And it somehow feels linked to what you just shared about abundance. I haven't heard that before. I'm really, I love that so much. And that reminds me of something that my Buddhist teacher says often, which might be stemming from a similar origin, where he's, he just says, little need, great contentment. And that that's like so key <laughs> to, to happiness and satisfaction and wisdom on the path is little need, great contentment. And what we're talking about here has an implicit relationality in it, right? We're not talking about what do I have and how do I enjoy it for myself, but it's what do I have and how do I share that with others? There's that relationality and it comes back to the astrology of this month, which is Gemini, which is twins. It's partnership. In, in Shavuot, there's a metaphor in Shavuot, which is B'nai Israel that the Israelite people or the Jewish people are in relationship to the divine as a couple under a chuppah at a wedding. And that's part of this Gemini, this twinness. It's like finding our relationality, finding our life partners, our partners in in living, whether that's something that's, you know, our dualities within us and with like other people in, in real life. So that twin aspect is like, what are the different parts that come together to make something 
bigger. And so when we lean into abundance and what do we do with our gifts, I think that the Gemini energy is inviting us out of our own selves to ask, what do we do with our gifts as we relate to, to the world and other people in the world? Yeah, Gemini wants to connect. Gemini wants to to travel, to communicate, to teach, to learn, to study, to it's that mercurial energy of like, I want to transcend boundaries, I want to cross over boundaries, I want to bring messages, and to receive messages. That's all really beautiful Gemini themes that I'm definitely feeling. And, and that's that rhythm of like, yes, perhaps the left foot is the main foot of, of this month, but we can't talk about the left foot without also acknowledging the right foot, you know, whether, whether that, that right foot is present in being present or conspicuous in its absence, <laughs> you know, like there is a, it is a partnered dynamic there. Right. Right. And which brings us back to the dynamism of walking, of movement, of sharing, of teaching, of learning, of growth. The Sefer Yetzirah, you know, the, the understanding of it is the, the sense of this month is walking, but walking isn't simply a physical action. It's also a physical action. And it's also the walking of the spirit, the moving, the growth, the progress of spirit, of our own development, of our, you know, individually and collectively. Are we headed where we want to be headed? Are we building the world that we want to exist? And, you know, we can look around at what's going on around us and looking at the climate catastrophe, the, you know, the state of climate change in our world. And, and I was like, really, is this, are we moving towards where we eternally seek to move towards a world that works for all of its people, a world that is healed, a world that is peaceful, a world that is just. Yeah. We have to be asking ourselves that every day and asking how and whether we're contributing to the healing or to more separation, more fragmentation. If you're not in the habit of asking yourself those kinds of questions, it's not easy to get into the habit of that, of taking a, a real look at at complicity and participation in, in the pain of the world. But what I have found personally, and not to say that I am perfect by any means, but the more that I've surrounded by myself with people like you, <laughs> like my beloved friends, like all of my collaborators and colleagues and, and friends who are willing to ask those, those difficult questions and willing to really be in inquiry around how we can participate in collective healing, the less it becomes a scary question and the more it becomes something that gives us all life and gives us all energy and gives us all momentum and passion for doing what is ours to do, what is ours to contribute to collective healing. So I'm feeling a lot of gratitude and gratitude for also the gifts of those friendships and those connections in this moment. And again, then asking myself, what can I do? How can I follow through on this? How can I make the best use possible of these gifts that I've been given? Beautiful question. This is the satsang, you know, this is in the sort of yogic and Hindu world. This is the, the company we keep, the khabura, the khavre, the those who we surround ourselves with. It's wise to be intentional about that. And when we are surrounded by 
positive, rooted, engaged individuals. It's so collaborative and it grows. Yeah, and we can grow. And this feels so Gemini connection to me because this is something that as I was beginning to speak, I was like really wanting to say, and I'm by no means perfect. And I want to actually clarify something because I really feel like it's our striving for perfectionism that keeps us from doing anything (laughs) a lot of the time. And something that I really emphasize in a lot of my work is People say perfectionism is the enemy of the good. Perfection is the enemy of the good. What I like to say is like perfection is the enemy of integrity. And that if we we're seeking is integrity rather than being perfect, nobody can be perfect in a profoundly imperfect world. And that's something that I really love about Judaism is that there's this idea that we are imperfect people and the world is imperfect. The world is broken and we are broken within it and we can seek to do the the struggle and the hard work of bringing it back together, bringing ourselves back together. And if I contemplate the the friendships and the collaborations and the partnerships that I'm in in my life, I think that my recognition, my relationship with others, and my unconditional love for the people that I love <laughs> helps me to release that sense of perfectionism inside of myself. I hold myself to way different standards than I hold the people in my life. And I want to give everyone in the world a kind of grace that I never often give to myself. And so when I'm in the dynamic relationality of these partnerships, of these connections, of these friendships, then I am able to give myself grace, forgive myself for not being perfect. And that allows me to actually move into greater integrity and heal my own trauma and attend to my own wounds so that I'm not perpetuating that kind of abuse and harm in others. Coming off of Shavuot and hearing you say that is so fitting because in Shavuot, we received the Torah. We received the Ten Commandments. But what's interesting is on Shavuot, we don't really talk about what happened after that. And what happened after that was the sin of the golden calf. Moses comes down. The people were losing faith in whatever Moses was doing up on that mountain, you know, physical or internal or wherever this mountain was. And Moses comes down with the with the tablets and sees B'nai Israel in this sin with the golden calf and it's a balagan it's a it's a bit of a mess and and the tablets are are thrown to the ground and they're cracked these tablets of perfection and the first tablets were tablets that you know the sages say that the first tablets were really engraved so to speak by god like the, it was a it was a direct transmission from god and these tablets shattered and you know when we get to yom kippur we're going to talk about this in greater depth because they say that the follow-up chapters to this took place on Yom Kippur, but essentially, you know, with a whole bunch of 40 days, segments of 40 days in between, eventually Moses goes back up the mountain. There's a lot of time in between. Moses has another interaction with God and they rewrite the tablets. And this time Moses is much more involved. And, you know, this is sort of Midrashic, like allegorical and or whatever. And I, I don't want to speak too literally here, but the story as I kind of hold it in inside of me is that the second tablet's, God spoke or, you know, emanated and and Moses scribed them down. And the second tablets was actually done in partnership with humanity. And those were the tablets that remained whole. Those were the tablets that, that lasted, you know, the, the tablets of perfection imploded. It didn't work. And the second tablets was tablets based on God's capacity to forgive the people and to have the second chance to create something new, to create something that was based on holding that there was brokenness. And what's so fascinating is that as B'nai Israel then wandered through the desert for the next bunch of years, what did they take with them? 
they took the broken tablets also. So they had both sets of tablets with them at all times. They had the tablets of perfection that shattered, and they had the new tablets based on forgiveness and like real humanness. That's what they carried with them. And so they held, you know, as you were speaking, like they really held the brokenness, they held the shadow. They took that with them. There was no leaving that back to pretend that never happened. There's like a big holding here. And I feel like this is the humanness, right? This is God in covenant with us as humans, as beautifully imperfect humanity. Yeah, well, so that, as you're just describing that, another way of thinking about power that I've been in contemplation of for actually a couple of years now came to mind, which is the difference between the idea of power as something that is top down, you know, that is that is from that scary authoritative thing above us that dictates and does things down to us. And the difference between that and the power, a couple of different types of power, there's power from within, there's the power that we can source within ourselves. And if we understand ourselves as a part of the collective body of the divine, that then becomes an intuitive way of of accessing power. And then there's power too, you know, like the power to the people, you know, kind of slogans, there's They're saying, you know, I have power, I have insight, I have gifts, and I'm going to share them such that yours can can emerge. There's this um, empowering. Yes, empowering. And there's, yeah, there's like power among. And that is like, so incredibly powerful. (laughs) And all of those things feel those other forms of power feel more alive, more like real, they feel like genuine power, more than this idea of power that I don't even know how we really got to this other understanding of power that feels fragmented, you know, like it feels like it come it comes from fragmentation. It's it's like this presumed separation. And I think that when we understand ourselves not as separate, that kind of power dynamic doesn't really seem very real. And I think that's really interesting because that kind of power dynamic is like the basis of a lot of our lived realities right now. Right. Yeah. That, that hierarchy and fragmentation melts. Which isn't to say that we don't still have the institutions and the <laughs> dynamics that we have to reckon with that are built off of that that type of power. But I think when, when we're not living within that oppressive dynamic, if we try to and if we work to melt that within ourselves where it lives within us, that is the path to collective liberation. And it's a continuous process. And I do feel that as we continuously work on that within ourselves, that does lead to collective healing and collective liberation. And we have to attend to our own integrity and our own embodiment of the the principles that we want our world to be based in. We have to embody that integrity as much as we can within ourselves if we're going to bring that integrity into the systems and the the environments that we find ourselves within. And you know, each person trying to tend to that work, I hope is what allows us to do that as a people, as community, to look at where, where we're upholding oppressive systems, and, and worse than upholding, we're actively engaged in in power dynamics that really harm people, even, and I, I would say, I guess, like, usually, that may be like, have emerged as a coping mechanism for trauma. I guess it comes back to that original thought of like, where are we walking? Where are we trying to get to as a people? And I think on that note, I'd love to share with our listeners a text. This is a text by the Svat Emet, a Hasidic master from a Dvar Torah on Parsha Lech Lecha, which isn't actually happening now in terms of sacred time in the Hebrew calendar, but Lech Lecha 
is the call that God or the divine whispered to Abraham. And some say that that is a call that is constantly being whispered. And Abraham, Abraham was the first person to open his heart and ears and mind to hear that call. And the Lech Lecha is the go seek, go to yourself. You know, this is a very sort of quintessential Abraham moment, but the, the quality there, Lech Lecha, is walking is the same quality that is this month of Sivan, which is the walking. And interestingly enough, it's the same quality in halacha, in Jewish law. The, the, the root word for Jewish law is lalechet. It's to go, it's to move, it's to walk. So, you know, if we received the Torah on Shavuot and now we're trying to figure out how is it that we walk with it? How do we make it, bring it to life, integrate, make it sustainable? All these kinds of questions. So, you know, if the quality of Sivan is walking, if our legal body is, I guess, in its essence, ought to be something that is that we are walking with, it's dynamic, that's alive, it's not often lived that way. If we think to like the first sort of biblical reference to lalechet, it would be lechecha, right, this this call from God to Abraham. So on that parsha, the svat emet, and I'm going to read the Hebrew and the English in translation from the language of truth, which was translated by Reb Art Green. And if you don't speak or understand Hebrew, feel free to just let the, the sort of the sound structures of the, the language, you can just close your eyes and be with it and then listen to the English. Shahadam nikra mehalach, shetzarich tami lelech mimajaga lemajaga, ki hahergel naaseh teva, לטבה משכח ומסתיר פנימיות החיות, ואפילו בתורה ומצוות, אם נעשה הרגל נעשה תיבה, משכח הפנימיות. לכן, צריך בכל עת לחפש דרך ועצה חדשה, ולכן הקדוש ברוך הוא מחדש בטובו בכל יום מעשה בראשית. ואדם צריך לחפש למצוא זאת התחדשות, שתמיד צריך להיות מוכן לשמוע. שתמיד צריך להיות מוכן לשמוע, וזה שכתוב לך לך, לעולם צריך להיות מהלך אל אשר אראך, תמיד השגה חדשה. לכן נקרא האדם מהלך מהלך, שכל שעומד בלי התחדשות, מיד התיבה שולטת בו. The human being is called a walker, always having to go from one rung to another. For habit makes things seem natural, seem habitual, and this sense of nature makes us forget the inner light. This is true even of the Torah and mitzvot. When we do them out of habit, they become our nature. We forget their inward meaning. Therefore, we need always to seek out some new way and counsel. And that is why God, with a quote, renews in God's goodness each day in the work of creation. The person has to search and seek out this renewal. Be ready to hear always. Be ready to hear always. And therefore also lech lecha, go to yourself, go from your land. A person should always keep walking. El asher areka, to the place, that place which I will show you. Always some new attainment. This is why the person is called a walker. Whoever stands still is not renewed. For nature holds this person fast. The essence of what the Sfat Emet is teaching us here is the essence of the month of Sivan and the essence of the call of Lech Lecha, which is, it is the, the way of humanity to be in constant movement, to be walkers, to be moving from one rung to the next, to constantly be growing. And 
I remember someone once said, you know, the difference between the angelic and the human is that the angelic actually they don't have two legs. They are they're actually stuck in place. So there's a perfection there. But at the same time, what distinguishes us is our capacity to walk, to move, to grow, to develop. And I think that's the Abraham's God's call to Abraham. This is like the first thing that we're kind of being asked to do, you know, lech lecha, go forth. Yeah, I mean, I love this. The God renews in God's goodness each day the work of creation. The person has to search and seek out this renewal. Be ready to hear always. I, I love that. I, I feel like it's so clear to me that we have to look for it. And it's saying, you know, like that, that God does this every day. Every day is infused with blessings and goodness and renewal. But I can imagine myself in my most depressive times, you know, I can imagine myself in my most bitter moments, my most hopeless times, staying in bed, you know, staying put, staying stuck somehow, and not finding it, because I was resigned to an idea that that I was perceiving the world to be in that moment, which is a profoundly human thing that I think all of us can relate to. And this is such a beautiful reminder that we really do have to go looking for it. We really do have to keep walking, keep moving forward, keep re-entering ourselves into creation. And, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, it's agonizing. It's agonizing to wake up every day in samsara and bear witness to the pain of an imperfect world, the pain of a world where there is death and suffering and inequality. And yet the the bodhisattva path, the Mahayana path, is one in which you not only commit to waking up every day and seeking to liberate all beings, but you wake up every life. <laughs> you commit to as many lifetimes, as infinite lifetimes in samsara, in the suffering, in order to contribute to the healing and the liberation of all. And that is what I feel is being called for here. And with that additional piece of be ready to hear always. And this also reminds me of in my studies and to be an interspiritual minister, we studied many traditions, including, <laughs> including the wisdom of Rebbe Jesus. <laughs> and there's something that really struck me when I was studying Christianity, which I wasn't really raised very much with, but I had some great teachers in seminary. And when he says, for those who have ears, listen, when he's speaking He's saying, like, do you have ears? If you have ears, then listen. Like, then show me that you have ears. Like, listen to what I am saying. And that feels like this very Jewish wilderness wisdom man feels very connected with this moment as well. This be ready to hear always. It's beautiful. And that that midrash that I sort of offered before that, you know, the rabbis say that God is constantly saying, and Abraham was the first person with the the intuition or the capacity to listen and to hear that call. And here we are now, which is to say that the lech lecha, the go, the move, the, the seek, the find is a constant. That command, that invitation is there. And let us in each moment renew the capacity or the commitment to, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to start fresh and I'm going to start fresh. You know, we constantly have that capacity for renewal. Yeah, that's beautiful. So as we were talking about this, before jumping in to record, we went to some cool places, <laughs> as usual, <laughs> when we're talking. And as we were talking about dynamism, we started also talking about some of the dynamic qualities of time. 
And I think that COVID has given a lot of us a unique opportunity to really experience the, the dynamic qualities of time in ways that perhaps we felt like time was moving really steadily, some of us before, perhaps. But in COVID, you know, there are days that go so fast and there's periods of time that feel so dilated, so stretched out. And this is something I learned from also the Sfat Emet from the same Hasidish master, which is there's three dimensions of existence. Olam, Shana, and Nefesh. Olam being the world, Shana being the year, the time, and Nefesh being the soul. And I feel like what we've actually touched on right now in our conversation today is this concept, the Sivan concept of dynamism, of walking, of movement, as it relates to the human individual and our personal growth, which is the Nefesh, and as it relates to the world, to you know, the colloquial tikkun olam, you know, what is the world that we're trying to build? How are we trying to build a more redemptive consciousness? And so we've together right now kind of tapped into two of the dimensions of like, where do we see dynamism? And the third one, which is the meta topic of our podcast is Shana, is time. It flows naturally for us to come back to that thing that we had been discussing before we started recording, which is how does this dynamism play out in the meta topic of time? What is our relationship with time? And on our Sacred Time podcast, like, you know, getting a little meta here of what are we talking about? And so, you know, the floor is yours (laughs) to dive us into this one. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So where I want to go with this is this idea of inhabiting the fullness of time. And this is an idea that I first encountered through one of my teachers, Joanna Macy, who, if you Google Joanna Macy, inhabiting the fullness of time, there are great... YouTube video talks that she's given about this, which I strongly recommend to anyone who's interested in in thinking about time and understanding how inhabiting time more fully can inform and support our living meaningful lives of service and presence. In summary, there have been some studies and some, some research that have shown how in our current lived reality, in our culture, in the dominant culture of this world, we are really have a fragmented relationship with time. And Joanna Macy actually speaks to this originating from the trauma of World War II, from the trauma of the Holocaust and the trauma of the atomic bomb, the extreme level of suffering and destruction and apocalypse that the human psyche witnessed during that time that really made it feel possible that the entire world could end in a way that many, many people have experienced before. (laughs) Many, many people have experienced apocalypse through colonialism and, you know, extreme trauma collectively. But this was another level of the magnitude of humanity experiencing this. And that being cut off from time, being cut off from a sense of a possible future, having this feeling that the world just might actually be ending now, <laughs> like that, or, or very soon, cuts us also off from being in connection with the past. And so we find ourselves not in connection with the future and not in connection with the past, but also not really present either. And we're on this hamster wheel of hyperactivity, but not actually existing and abiding in the present. And so there are a lot of things that we can do to heal this wound, to come back into a full relationship with time. And it has to do with orienting ourselves in time. It has to do with connecting with the past deeply. And that can mean with our own personal histories, working through our own 
traumas of our childhood and beautiful memories of our childhood and all of the gifts and all of the lessons that we've had in our own lifetimes. It also means connecting with our ancestors in that same way connecting with both the the traumas and the things that need healing, as well as the beauty and the gifts and the blessings and the prayers that we have inherited from our ancestors. And then also our non-human ancestors, you know, and connecting with all of life that has ever existed on this planet that has made our lives uniquely possible, every being, human, non-human, and beyond. And then even going deeper into inhabiting a relationship with the past that even predates the creation of this planet, which our our bodies are made of space dust that has existed long before this even galaxy came into formation. And so if we can really allow ourselves to, to meditate on and connect with in a deep and loving way, in a way that is curious and oriented toward understanding and healing... That gives us an incredibly powerful foundation to both land in the present and also to orient toward the future. And if we can orient to the future, if we can allow ourselves to have an expansive, beautiful, radical, imaginative relationship with what can be, with possible futures, with possible timelines, then when we find ourselves actually grounded and actually rooted in the present then we have a sense of where we've come from and we have a sense of where we want to go. And we're not, again, operating from a trauma response. We actually can operate from wisdom. And that wisdom comes, again, from presence and from being with and from inhabiting the fullness of time. And when we do that, we're able to be dynamically responsive to the moment. We're able to be dynamically responsive to the person that is right in front of me, the person that I'm sharing space with, the person who is in the next town over, the person and the the more than human, and all of the different dynamic elements that are surrounding me, and that I am in conversation with, and that I am in coexistence with. And we can actually choose from that place. It's a place that it allows us to be empowered, because we're able to actually be able to make choice, not from habituation, which is what that beautiful Parsha is speaking to, is that if we're standing still, if we're static, then we cannot be renewed. And standing still doesn't necessarily mean that you're not doing anything. You might just be doing things completely out of habituation and completely out of your own conditioning and out of unconscious patterning, rather than consciously taking a step, making a choice, following through. And that, I feel, is the the wisdom that we're accessing in this month. Oh, amen. (laughs) I'm delighted that that was recorded. <laughs> Sometimes we have conversations just like this and we're like, we're like oh, damn. <laughs> I love what you're saying and the energy that you're saying it with and how it's almost like re-understanding exile as a state of mind and as a state of time and relationship with time. And through, you know, consciousness, conscious connection with the past, conscious understanding of the future, you can actually land in the present moment in a way that, It's not about walking, actually. You can be moving or you can be still. It's not about a physical posture per se. We can spend another podcast talking about postures, which are also profound. (laughs) But when you bring that consciousness to the present moment, 
whether you're sitting still, whether you're moving, that is the, this dynamic, expansive aliveness. Like you said, you're inhabiting the fullness of time. You are embodying the fullness of the moment of existence of your life. And then you're not sleepwalking through life. Because the other thing that I'm sure the Svet Amet would agree with <laughs> is the movie Waking Life. <laughs> Which is to say that we do not want to be sleepwalking through this life. We want to be wake walking through. We want to be present and awake. And to be there means to, like you said, to connect with our shadows, to connect with our pain and brokenness, and to connect to the abundance and beauty and challenge that has produced us of all, all of our ancestors and time, all of time before, and let that sort of ground us in where we are now as we move towards building the future. Yeah, yeah. I think we have to end on that. <laughs> I love what you've just shared. With yeah. <laughs> not, not with my words, but with, <laughs> with, 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 with this download that you just gave us. Mm. And I'm going to ask you if you want, is there a practice that you want to offer to the folks listening right now that we can end either on a blessing, but I think more than a blessing on just a practice. I know that you have offered beautiful practices for me of connecting with ancestors so that I can inhabit my present identity again, without shame and with love and joy and from a posture of, you know, generosity. And I'm wondering if there's any small practice that you want to invite for our audience in this moment. Yeah. Well, I found that on a podcast interview I gave recently, I also mentioned my friend Julia Plevin, who I'm going to mention now, who I just introduced you to earlier this week, but she was sharing with me and with another dear friend of ours, Betty of Living Jewishly, who we love very, very much about her own journey back home to her Judaism. And it was when she was doing some shamanic studies of the practice of calling in your ancestors just every single morning. So the practice is that every morning you call in your ancestors and you can do this in whatever way feels right to you. I know that my husband has a pillowcase that was his grandmother's that he feels connected to. And I think that that really supports him in waking up every day and feeling connected to his most recent ancestors. But there are so many ways that we can do this, whether it's with objects, with an altar, with a song or a prayer or anything that connects us with the people that we came from, a recipe, or even just bringing them to mind, even just saying ancestors, known and unknown, those whose names I know and whose traditions I know and those who have been forgotten but live within me, I ask you to join me in this day and bless my actions this day and guide me in a good way. And that can be so, so powerful. And to that, I will also say that all humans carry ancestral trauma. It looks different for all of us, but it's true. There's, you know, that saying, hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> and I think that that is, that is the reason for the perpetuation of suffering in our world, is that we are traumatized people, and that makes us act out. That makes our shadows act out. And so when we are cultivating a conscious relationship with our ancestors, we can begin to actually work on that. We can begin to actually heal those deeper wounds. And it might take a long time. It might take our entire lifetime. It may take many lifetimes. But that is really beautiful, sacred work. And that, I think, is in those small habits every day, a way that we can take that step. We can continue that walking every day of being willing to inhabit the fullness of who we are, where we came from, 
and have choice and agency and power to determine where we go. So we leave you with that and we will be here again next month. (laughs) Big love to all of you. Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.